Awesome. Yeah. Good stuff. Hey, go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11 and also Numbers chapter 23. So Hebrews 11, we're going to look at a verse there and then uh, we're going to jump back to Numbers 23. So uh, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to speak for a little bit, okay? Not, not too long. Uh, so about 15 or 20 minutes here. Just uh, I got something uh, quick for you to, to share with you. But let me tell you, that was worth, oh my goodness, that wasn't just kids performing. I know you guys felt the same way. That was anointed. Oh, I was impacted so much. Uh, I mean, Trinity just loving on Jesus like that. I was like, oh man. And to hear, to hear what God is doing in, in the J-12, and I know even in others uh, like, the, like the Momentum, the high schoolers, like some of you have heard uh, Alex Pena share before, it just moves my heart to know that God is raising up the next generation. We are not... Uh, we are not a church of one age or one generation. We like to say we're a multi-generational church. Well, here it is, right? This is our church. And we take discipleship seriously. You know, Debbie was saying, oh, we love our kids and our kids are amazing. But let me tell you, when you have leaders like Debbie and others who see spiritual warfare going on with our kids, see something hindering their heart, go after it in prayer and get a breakthrough, that's good stuff, yeah? Yeah? You can know that we war for our kids in the spirit realm so that their hearts will be open. And you can do the same for your kids. Kids go through stuff in the natural, but they also go through stuff in the spiritual. And we need to take hold of the hearts of our kids. Sometimes we've got to go after it in prayer. And oh my goodness, I mean, I come in the office and Debbie says, Debbie told me some things. I, I I think I knew some of it. But even she told me something going on with my son. Uh, a lie that he was believing. And, and she was able to see it clearly. And we had been ministering to him directly on a particular thing that he heard from the enemy, you know, about his identity. But it came out in a discussion with Debbie in the class. They went after it in prayer. I mean, to have that kind of partnership, you know what I'm saying? It's like you as a parent, you want to see that breakthrough. But to have other people go after it as well. And, and uh, well, a couple weeks ago you saw my son baptized. There was some breakthrough going on there. So I'm, it means a lot to me. I don't know about you guys. So this is how we celebrate Palm Sunday because Jesus said, out of the mouths of infants and babes, right, God has ordained praise. And so that's how we celebrate uh, Palm Sunday, by saying, let's just glorify God all ages. All right. Well, let me just spend a few minutes building up your faith. And uh, in Hebrews chapter 6, this is what we've been focused on. It says, I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, sorry. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it says this, but without faith, it is impossible to please him, referring to God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Many of you are familiar with this verse. I hope so. I hope you've memorized it by this point. That God is not ju- doesn't just exist. That he is good. That he's a reward of those who diligently seek him. And it says that we, in order to come to God, meaning to come into relationship with him, in order to receive what God has for us, we can't just believe that he exists. We have to believe what he has revealed himself to be in the scriptures. God's word is an extension of who he is. Just like I can't know my wife unless she tells me who she is. I can see, uh, oh, okay, she's got dark hair, she's beautiful. I can see what she's like, but I can't know what she's thinking, what she wants, what's going on deep on the inside of her unless she tells me with her words. That's what the Bible is. It's the self-disclosure of God. It's God revealing his heart to us. And he has revealed to us that he is good, 
that he blesses those who would seek first his kingdom, that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. He has revealed that he loves. And so when we come to God, faith is not just believing that God exists. Demons believe God exists. Faith is believing that God is who he says he is and he will do what he said he will do. Amen? That he will, he's made promises in the word and he will keep those promises. He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now, we've been spending some time just looking at Abraham and Israel and even Jesus and seeing how God rewards those who diligently seek him. How God treats his friends who are in covenant with him, like Abraham, like Israel. And we have seen that God does bless and that God does make promises to bless in every aspect of our life, both present in this life and in the future. That's the best. And of course, the greatest blessing is actually our relationship with him. He himself is the reward. But because he's such a good dad, he blesses us and provides for us and he makes promises to us. We've seen these promises. And... and um, And we've seen how God made promise after promise after promise to the people of Israel. Well, I want to spend a few minutes and I want to tell you a story that happened to Israel. It starts, the story starts in Numbers 22. We're going to pick up the story in Numbers 23. But here's what happened. Israel was wandering around in the wilderness, in the desert, for many years because they had disobeyed the Lord. You remember that in Exodus, it's the story of God delivering the people of Egypt out of Egypt. I'm sorry, delivering the people of Israel out of Egypt, right? He set them free from captivity. And you remember when they left Egypt, they left rich. You remember that? They plundered their enemies. So God destroyed the superpower of the world because they were oppressing God's people. He told Moses, you're going to set my people free and you're going to bring them into the land I promised them. Now God brought them out of Egypt, right, through the Red Sea provided for them manna from heaven, water flowing from a rock, brought them out, brought them to the mountain, Mount Sinai, established a covenant with them, established a relationship by giving them the Ten Commandments and such. And he made promises to them, not only to bring them into the promised land, but promises of healing, promises of provision, promises of his presence, of rest, of peace. He gave them wisdom. He gave them the law, the instructions so that they would know how to live the right way. I mean, shoot, they got a day off every week, three weeks vacation. I mean, it's a good stuff following God, right? So he brings them out, and when he brought them in, he brought them to the promised land, okay? When he brought them to the promised land, even though they had grumbled and complained, even though they had turned to idols, God was still merciful. He hadn't destroyed them because he made a promise to do this. He wasn't will never and was never going to break his promise. And he brought them right to the edge of the promised land, rebelled, because they were afraid. They rebelled. They accused God of trying to kill them, of setting them up for failure. They rebelled against God. And so God still did not break his promise. But he did say, out of a consequence, he said, fine, all of you who were of fighting age, 20 and up, you will never go into the promised land. You will not receive what I have for you, but your kids will. Your kids will. So for 40 years, the people of Israel wandered in the wilderness because of their own fearful, stubborn, unbelieving rebellion. It was not God's will. And it's such a revelation of God's mercy and of his faithfulness that he still did not abandon them. Okay, fast forward, mostly those 40 years were about 
at the 40-year mark, not quite, and the people of Israel have wandered around, and they're coming back to these plains, to the, uh, uh, a place on the east of the Jordan, and to the region of a nation called Moab. And here the Israel's coming in, and they're getting ready to go into the promised land. There's still some time. And Moab, the king of Moab, his name's Balak, and he is freaked out. Right? He's freaked out because he has heard of these people who destroyed Egypt. I mean, he doesn't know it was God, not them, but he's thinking, oh my goodness, these people, you don't want to mess with them, right? So he is afraid to go to battle with Israel. They've got a reputation now. God did that on purpose. So Balak hires a prophet named Balaam. Hires a prophet to curse Israel. Why? Because in that context, and some of this is, is, is real, it happens in the spirit realm. In that context, they believed that if a prophet spoke words of cursing, that it would, it would manipulate the spirit realm, it would manipulate spirits, it would manipulate gods to be on Balak's side and against Israel's side, and he could win a battle against them. See, they understood something that we have forgotten, that there really is a spirit realm, and it's governed by words. And when we speak words of life, it brings life. When we speak words of death, it brings death. Now, what they, they were wrong about there being lots of gods and this and that. They, they were wrong that you can manipulate those things. Now, there are demonic people, even to this day, who can manipulate things in the spirit realm in a dark way. It's bondage, it's deception, all that. God says not for us to do it. So Balaam is not a follower of the God of Israel, but he is a prophet and can hear from the God of Israel. It's one of these crazy stories that kind of, because we're Westerners, we don't know how the spirit realm works. And so the, Balak literally comes and he wants to hire him to curse, hire him to prophesy. They would do this all the time. They'd hire people to do divination, to prophecy, all this stuff, right? And Balaam makes money on this. They come to Balaam and they say, we'll pay you, we'll give you whatever you want if you will curse Israel for us. He goes and he talks to God, and God says, you cannot speak a word of cursing because I have blessed them. So Balak, I'm sorry, Balaam knows I, I can't do anything. So Balaam goes back and he says, look, tell the king, it doesn't matter what you give me, I can't curse because God has already blessed them. So then they send more people, rich people, powerful people, they send them, anything you want, we'll give it to you. So God, uh, Balaam says, well, let me just see what else God might say. And he goes off and he asks God, and God says, if they come back to you again, you can go with them, but only say the word I tell you. So he gets up and he goes with them. And this is the story where an angel literally stands in Balaam's way to kill him. I thought God told him to go. I thought God told him, I thought God told Balaam he could go. Balaam, the Bible says very clearly in Numbers 22 into 23, says that his heart was wicked, perverse. He was going because he really did secretly want money. What he wanted. So here's a guy who's like, okay, God, I'll just say what you have to say. But his heart is completely wicked. So the angel stands in his way to kill him. And if you remember the story, the donkey sees the angel and the donkey multiple times pushes Balaam against a, a rock wall and does all this stuff. And finally, 
he just sits down in the middle of the road because the angel is standing there. And, and dude, angels are not little naked, little baby-looking cherubs. Angels are huge with like fiery swords for real. Like this is not make-believe, okay? So this donkey sees and God supernaturally, it's never happened another time, uh, uh, except, well, maybe one other time or something, this donkey talks to Balaam and says, have I ever treated you this way? I mean, that would be the weirdest thing in the world. Like, seriously, if you guys have dogs, you guys like dog lovers, and your dog's like, yo, I'm hungry, you know? So the donkey literally says, what, why are you treating me like this? I've never been treated like this. There's an angel trying to kill you. I'm trying to protect you, basically, is what he says. And all of a sudden, Balak's, I'm sorry, I keep missing up. Ba- Balaam's eyes open, and he realizes there's an angel there, and he says, oh, my goodness. And the, and the angel's like, dude, I'm going to kill you because your heart's wicked. And, he, and, he said, and then the, basically the repeated, the God says it again, you can go, but you ha- can only say what I say. So Balaam, though he wants money, he's thinking, I don't want to mess with this God. I don't want to mess with this God. So he tells Balak, I'm only going to say what God tells me to say. I'm only going to say, okay? And so it comes out of Balaam's mouth. It's crazy because he's not a follower of Israel. He's not a child of Abraham is this powerful prophetic word over the nation of Israel, and they don't even know it. They don't even know what's going on. Now, later they find out, which is why it's in the Bible. But before, they don't even know what's happening. This spiritual battle is going on right now. They don't even know. So we're going to pick it up in, verse, in chapter 23 when, when, uh, with the, uh, one of his, the first prophecy, okay? Verse 8, Numbers 23. How shall I curse whom God has not cursed? How shall I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? For from the top of the rocks I see him, and from the hills I behold him. There, a people dwelling alone, not reckoning itself among the nations. Who can count the dust of Jacob, or number one-fourth of Israel? Let me die the death of the righteous, and let my end be like his. Oh my goodness. This prophet is looking in the spirit realm, I mean, he's looking in the natural and just sees Israel. I mean, by the way, they're spread out. There's like a half a million of them, at least. I, I, maybe I, I think I'm underestimating. Just tons, hundreds of thousands of Israelites spread out in this plain, and he's up high on a rock looking at them, and, he's, and yes, he sees, and he says, oh, they're like the dust. But he sees in the spirit realm, and he says, how, he's prophesying, how can I denounce whom God has not denounced? These are righteous And he sees, he says, that they are set apart, not reckoning themselves among the nations. He's speaking of them being holy, set apart, the special people of God. God calls Israel in Exodus 19 his treasure, his special people. And then he says, oh, let me die the death of the righteous, meaning that not only is their life blessed, but their future is blessed. Let my end, let the end of of me, let let my final, you know, uh, goal, if you will, be like them. He's prophesying this. This is, Why? Because this is how God sees Israel in the spirit realm. So, well, wait a minute, wait, wait, wait a minute. Israel, Israel has like worshipped idols at this point. They have rebelled against God. I mean, there's, they, like if you read numbers, they've been complaining the whole time. And this prophet, who's not even saved, if you will, right? Not even a child of Abraham, stands up and proclaims who they are in their covenant with God and declares, these are righteous. These are holy. These are a special people. And Israel doesn't even know it. 
Next, next prophecy. Well, first of all, Balak gets mad. I mean, I'd be mad too. I'm paying you to curse and you blessing them, right? And he's time to have to set up altars and do sacrifice and all that stuff. We'll skip that stuff. Anyways, he says, Man, come on, here, come here, come here, come here. I'm going to bring you over here and maybe you'll just see a part of them and you'll hate a part of them. No, no. He's hoping that he'll, that a different spirit or a different God, he could tap into a different God that'll curse them. He does, Balak the king, and Balaam probably didn't know this, that they're serving the God of all gods, right? All the other gods are demons. He doesn't realize you're messing with the wrong God. So Balak's like, hey, hey, okay, Balaam, come over here. Just, just curse him over here. And Balaam says, I only can say what God told me to say, right? So here's the second prophecy, starting in uh, verse 18. Then he, Balaam, took up his oracle and said, rise up, Balak, and hear, listen to me, son of Zippor, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said, and will he not do? Has he spoken, and will he not make it good? Behold, I have received a command to bless. He, God, he has blessed and I cannot reverse it. Verse 21, he, God, has not observed iniquity in Jacob, nor has he seen wickedness in Israel. The Lord, his God, is with him. And the shout of a king is among them. God brings them out of Egypt his strength like a wild ox. For there is no sorcery against Jacob, nor any divination against Israel. It must be said of Jacob and of Israel, oh, what God has done. Look, a people rises like a lioness and lifts itself up like a lion. It shall not lie down until it devours the prey and drinks the blood of the slain. Go back to that verse, verse 19. God is not a man that he shall lie. You guys know, if you've been a part of this church, there's only one thing the Bible says God, it's impossible for God to do, and that's lie. Every word that comes out of his mouth, not only did he intend to say it, but he intends to keep it. He has never said anything in the word of God that is not true of himself and true of what he will do. No promise of God, no promise of God is imperfect. Every word out of his mouth is perfect and true and he is faithful. He will keep his promises. He will keep his covenant to his people. He is faithful, always faithful. He cannot lie. He cannot lie. And this secular prophet, I mean this demonized man, is declaring the truth. God, the creator of the universe, who has revealed himself through the people of Israel and through Jesus Christ later, cannot lie. Every word is true. Every word is true. And then, what is it connected to? So what is it connected to? What does he say? I have received a command to bless. He has blessed. I cannot reverse it. What have I been trying to tell you? God has promised you and me blessing. Blessing if we will serve him. Blessing, he told Israel, if you will serve me, if you will love me with all your heart, you will be the head and not the tail. You will be blessed among, above every nation if you will love me with all your heart, if you will keep my commands. 
What has God been trying to convince Israel of? That my promises are true and I cannot lie. I want to do this. If God has said it in His Word, He wants to do it for you. He wants to do it. This guy is prophesying this truth and says, God has commanded a blessing on Israel and I cannot curse Israel because God has blessed Israel. And then he goes on and he says, God has not observed iniquity in Jacob. I don't know about you, but I'm reading numbers and I think to myself, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Now that's one of those things where people think the Bible contradicts itself, right? Because, well, wait a minute, God judges their sin. Yes, but he never forsook them. And he continually showed them mercy. He never forsook them. And he never broke a promise to them. And always called them back to repentance. Always, 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 always. Never do you see in the Bible that a person cannot repent. Repentance is the very mercy of God. That no matter how far you have run away from God. Listen, today, no matter how far you have run away from God. He is right here calling you, come back to me, come back to me, come back to me. Let me tell you a promise that God has made. If you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Did you hear what he said? 1 John 1, 9. If you confess your sin, he is what? Faithful and just. Faithful and just. Faithful and just. Did it say, and God's really nice, and if you catch him on a good day, he'll be nice. He might forgive you. He might, oh, please, God, forgive me, forgive me. I'll never do it again. Did he say you have to negotiate with him? Did he say you had to make vows and promises? No. He said, if you confess, he is faithful. Faithful. Do you know what that means? That if you are in Christ, if you have, if you have trusted in the blood of Jesus to forgive your sins, and you sin, and you confess that to before God, if he doesn't forgive you, he would be a liar. Faithful, 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 and just. He'd have to break his promise not to forgive you. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. He would have to be a liar not to do that if you seek first the kingdom of God. God has made promises in his word. And and Psalm 138 says he's exalted his word above his name. He's faithful. And here's Israel who has worshipped idols, who has sinned against God, and God punishes them for their sin. He corrects them, he disciplines them, but he still never forsook them. And still to this day, he has never forsaken Israel. Even to this day, as you've heard me say the last like three weeks, God has made a promise that all Israel will be saved before Jesus returns. Even despite unbelief, even despite rebellion, God has said, I will do this. He can't, he has chosen not to defy people's will, given people the will to choose. He's just super patient, super merciful. Now, if this is true of Israel, how much you and me? Let me bring it to uh, the point here. We've got to wrap it up. Israel didn't even know that these things were being said of them. Yet this is how God sees them in the spirit realm. Now, I don't mean that God has never said this to them. Over and over again, God kept telling telling them, you are my chosen people, you are my special people. I chose you not because you're righteous, because I love you, and because I love your uh, fathers, and I made a promise to them. 
God has constantly been telling them these things, that I have blessed you, that I am with you. That's the number one blessing, right? Now imagine, what do you think if Israel actually would have seen themselves this way? What if Israel actually believed that God liked them, delighted in them, blessed them, had, made a ble- had commanded a blessing and it could not be reversed? What if they believed that there was no sorcery, no demons, no other spirits, no other gods that could keep them from victory and blessing? Why did they worship other gods? Because they thought they had to appease other spirits and gods. Why did they worship other gods? Because they still didn't believe that if God is your God, he will take care of you. They still thought, but we have to do this. Well, you have to be practical. They still thought you need to cover your bases. They still thought, I've got to do it in my way, our way. And so they rejected the ways of God. They could see his miracles. They saw his acts, the Bible says, but they did not see his ways. They saw what he did, but they didn't get his heart. Dude, he only split the Red Sea and sends manna from heaven because he likes you and because he has promised to take care of you. What if they would have got that? What if they would have understood that God loves them and wants to bless them? I wonder, maybe they would have never turned to idols. Maybe they would have never complained because they would know, yeah, yeah, we don't have water, but I remember that one time that God provided. Let's not complain this time. Let's just thank the Lord and ask him what he wants us to do. That sounds like sanity when you walk by faith. Let me ask you. But if you saw who you are in Christ, of Israel, how much more for those of us who are in Christ, who have the blood of Jesus, who has cleansed us of all sin, who have Jesus Christ, who is greater than Moses and greater than all those people. He is the fulfillment, amen? You are in Christ. He has commanded blessing on you, and he cannot not bless you because he'd have to be unfaithful. Now, if you walk in sin like Israel, it will bring destruction. You walk in the flesh, it will bring death. But he'll never leave you, never forsake you. Just like Israel. This is amazing, isn't it? And here's Israel, totally messing up. God says, these are my people. They are righteous. Not righteous because of their actions. Righteous because he has made them so. And he declares blessing over them. And we know many times Israel did not receive this blessing. Why? They didn't do what the word said. We're not like them, amen? We walk by faith. We seek God with all of our hearts. First, we believe what he says. We believe what he says, that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And that is why we do not grumble and complain. That is why we thank the Lord in all circumstances. We don't look to other idols, do we? We don't look to money. We don't look to our own human understanding or to the ways of this world, do we? We look to the Lord. We cry out to God. We acknowledge the Lord in all our ways and we seek Him first. Amen? When we do, He will bless. Here's the deal. Balaam could not curse them. Guess what Balaam did? For money, he told the king of Moab, Balak, lead these people 
into sexual morality and idolatry, and you will defeat them. Let me tell you, we live in a world of, with, where there's a spirit realm. This is not a game, folks. When you walk out that door, there are demons who are scheming to take you out. The Bible says that in Ephesians 6, that the enemy is scheming. 1 Peter 5, he is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking, seeking whom he may devour. Not whom he can, as an ability, but whom he may. He is looking for an access point. And if you give him an access point through unbelief, through complaining, through unforgiveness, through pride, through sexual morality, like unfaithfulness to your covenant promise in marriage or before you're married, you break that covenant promise before you're married or after, either way, it will give access to sin, which brings death, and even to demonic powers. These Israelites, they got into sexual morality, they started sleeping with the Moabite women and worshiping their gods, and got sucked right into that stuff, and it brought destruction to them. Does God want to bless you? Oh, yeah. That's why he's trying to convince you. That's why these number of weeks he's trying to convince you. My way. My way. All you need is me. Seek me. Come to me. I am all you need. I will bless you. I will heal you. I will deliver you. I will provide for you. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. Balaam, he couldn't even touch him. Who are you in Christ? You are the righteousness of God in Christ. You are free, dead to sin and alive to God. Sin has no authority over you. You are a citizen of heaven. And God has promised to provide for his citizens according to his riches and glory, not according to this economy. And he has promised that by his stripes, he already paid for it, you are healed. Already paid for. Oh, if we could see it, when God says it, that's what's true in the spirit realm. Oh, if you could see who you are in Christ. If you could see that his words are true. And all we got to do, trust him. I guess what we're going to be learning to do in this next season. Let's respond. Clint.